I think it is a fair assessment to say that a London business school is a competitive school to get into and that it is a school that um, has really championed the the finance route and produced some of the best results for people who wanting wanting to get into investment banking in the finance sector and PE and VC in general. But I think there is a shift in the last few years um, where a lot of business school understands that the growing contingent of the uh, applicants and the graduates go in and either um, they start their own businesses or go into other corporate roles in smaller companies or bigger companies. And as a result of that, you can see things such as the LBS incubator program and a lot of the internships that people do in startups now. That and they obviously the entrepreneurship summer school that the, the the school launched maybe five years ago. And all of these, I think, are tr- um, initiatives are trying to bring the school closer to uh, the entrepreneurship contingent as well. Welcome to the MBA Jam Podcast with your host, Avinash Bajaj. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of the MBA Jam. This is your host and founder, Avinash, over here. Today, we are talking to someone who's possibly got one of the most impressive profiles on LinkedIn. We're talking to Dan Ziv. Dan is currently not just doing one thing, but he's doing a lot of things. Dan is the Chief Product Officer and Managing Director UK and rest of the world at TouchNode, who convert your photos that you take on your mobile phone into physical postcards. Dan is also a mentor at Techstars, a member of Founders of the Future, member of the advisory boards at Feeder Limited and Mori. We'll find out more about that from Dan. Prior to this, Dan has been vice president of product at Velocity Mobile, which was actually which actually acquired the company that he started, a business called Uncover, which was an app to discover and book London's most desirable restaurants at the last minute. We'll find about we'll find out more about how that went for Dan. Dan is actually the second person on the show who's got a law degree following which he transitioned into product management after doing his MBA. Dan has done his law degree from Tel Aviv University, an MBA from London Business School, one of the premier B schools in the UK. Dan, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it's really great to be here, Vinash, and thanks for that kind introduction. No worries at all. Dan, how would you like to describe your journey as as you have, you know, transition across the different kind of roles and even different industries now? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so um, I started off my career, as you mentioned, as an M&A lawyer uh, back home in Israel. And then I did my MBA to move back into tech because I was actually tech prior to being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also to obviously transition my geography and uh, to transition my role. So from moving to from law to tech, also from moving from actually practicing law, uh, law into uh, becoming a product manager. So I am what is commonly known as a triple jumper in the MBA jargon. And um, the MBA was a, a transformational experience for me. It really did achieve those three targets and much, much more, which I couldn't have dreamed when I actually joined the MBA. Um, the most important of which, of course, was that uh, I met my two co-founders, uh, Chris Steinau and David Sands, while doing the MBA. Uh, they were in my class, and together we founded Uncover, which was the startup that uh, we founded on the back of the MBA experience and uh, continued after that. Yeah, interesting. Actually, one thing I did not mention, which I'm realizing now, is that 
you've also served in the armed forces. I did. Um, I did my um, compulsory military service in Israel for three years, but I was actually a communications officer. That was actually my first real tech experience. And I, I so I did four years, actually, and I uh, finished the military as a captain, yeah. Wow, that's that's really impressive. <laughs> so you, you. you served in, in the armed forces and then you did your law degree. Um, did you did you practice as a lawyer? I think you did practice for some time. Yes, yeah, so I practiced for three years and just under three years, I think. And um, I did M&A law, some class action lawyers laws as well. And um, the majority of the experience was around tech companies. Obviously, Israel is a very vibrant tech community and tech ecosystem. So I did a lot of the deals that uh, now I see my peers doing on the business side. And uh, after doing several years of the legal background and legal uh, process around M&A, I actually said that my heart, my heart is actually on the business side. So I want to transition into that field. So that, in many ways, my uh, tech background on the military and my legal background as an M&A lawyer came together in my post-MBA experience. I see, I see. So, so was MBA something that you had always been considering throughout even your law practice or was that like a decision that was taken overnight? <laughs> So uh, an MBA was something I always strived for in my life uh, because I am one of those rare people in, in Europe where my dad actually did his MBA at London Business School as well. Huh. So <laughs> he, did, he did a executive course back in, I think in 93 or something like that, 94. And he came back, I remember, after maybe six months at uh, London Business School in complete awe and talking, he talked for years then afterwards about the things he learned and about the concepts and the frameworks and the kind of teaching there. So for me growing up, this was a big inspiration. I really felt that uh, it helped him in his career and then following uh, my career in law, it seemed a very natural thing to do and an MBA wasn't a foreign thing because we talked about it at home. Did you say 93? How old was your dad when he did his MBA? So I think he didn't do an actual MBA. He did uh, one of the one of the executive courses as a I see, I see. supplementary course. Yeah, I see. But, I see. <laughs> Interesting, because because one of my questions was going to be is is why London Business School, but I think it now now kind of explains. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, London Business School was obviously something that that we discussed at home because he came, he was so impressed by it. And funnily enough, my experience was very similar to his in the sense that I came in with a certain degree of high expectations. And the school really did meet them and then exceed a lot of them as well. But uh, an MBA generally was something that my generation kind of, I feel, um, came to do quite naturally in Europe and also in Israel. And then uh, the question was where to do it, obviously. If I wanted to transition my career, I think MBA was a natural course of action. And then I said, okay, do I go to the U.S.? And I actually went to the U.S. to visit some of the schools. And um, by then, because I was a practicing lawyer, I was slightly older than the average. I, was, I think I started my MBA at 31. And um, I felt that in the UK, the average age was slightly uh, higher than in, um, than in the US. Mm. And also, when I, I was very much impressed by the international aspect of the school. It was truly international with, um, I think, the largest contingency was maybe 15% of the school. Whereas in the US schools, obviously, there's a little bit more of a US-centric focus. So I um, I decided to go to, to London. This also, also was obviously on the back of the fact that I am British as well. And uh, moving back to to London, which is kind of my second home, was mm -hmm. a very natural step as well. So all of these things came together, really. 
I see, I see. Interesting. I think, in, in fact, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile once again. I'm fascinated because I'm seeing so many different things. I see that right after your law degree, actually, you started or you were running a company for almost one year called Bubbles. What yeah, was that all actually, about? That's actually my first startup. I, I, I founded Bubbles with my best friend back home in Israel. He's also a lawyer. And uh, it was a uh, curation algorithm for news content and it was an amazing adventure that we had we know we knew very little back then about algorithms in general and we just said okay we can just sit down and learn this stuff and we essentially created a a filtering mechanism whereby we would take away from every website that you would read anywhere between 40 to 65 percent of the clutter so think of the Financial Times front page that you might go visit once in a while. Um, most of most of the news articles there you actually aren't interested in, just in, because of your personal preferences. And then by clicking and unclicking certain, or clicking and not clicking certain um, links, rather, we would be able to filter the kind of news that you'd be interested in, and and hone in on your on your interests, thereby making click through rates and conversion rates much higher in all of these sites. It was my first venture. It was a complete disaster. Uh, we raised a little most, bit of seed. Most first ventures are. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, I mean, I would never have, uh, you know, now knowing what I know, I, I, I would never have swapped that experience for another because it, it taught me so much about what to do and more even about what not to do. Um, so we, we raised a little bit of money in seed and we, we sat down actually day and night to work on this thing and with very little credibility, then we went into VCs straight up to try to raise a lot of money, much more than we actually needed. Um, we did not prove product market fit or um, a revenue generation, really. It was, it was a disaster. <laughs> but on the, on the back of that, uh, we learned a ton. And then from that, we, uh, um, we implemented a lot of that later on. So when I, for example, wanted to uncover, I was filled with a chest of mistakes and then I could not repeat hopefully um, so <laughs> that was it I mean that that's amazing that that was like nine years ago and you're talking about you know content optimization that's something that's valid even in today's world as much as I guess it was valid back then so uh, the, the, to be fair with us I think it was quite forward-looking but the <laughs> two, two things happened one is the iPad came out and mm. Um, we were completely not ready for that. And suddenly everyone was consuming content on the iPad and everyone wanted us to do stuff on iPad. By then we, would have, we ran out of budget to transition our tool into an iPad, into an app or anything like that. And the second is the financial crisis, obviously, created a credit crunch that um, trickled down all the way into VC funding as well. So the environment wasn't ready for that kind of uh, product, I think. We like to think that we were forward-thinking enough that now this is super interesting with all of the uh, news-filtering uh, algorithms that you find everywhere. But the reality of it is that um, it was a first experience that led to many others rather than uh, a successful one, unfortunately. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, how, how did you balance you know, SQL analysis with legal research and documentation? So uh, the, the truth of the matter is we had very little sleep that uh, during those years. Um, SQL, is, that, this is really where I learned SQL. And mm. just like many programming languages, it, um, it's learning by repetition, right? You, do, you, you, you start with simple select uh, formulas and then you continue and learn all of the different uh, constraints and variables that you can add to them. Uh, ultimately, we became quite proficient, but it wasn't enough. And we could never really 
um, leave our day jobs to do this full time. Although my my partner did leave for a while to do this full time, and we tried to commit <laughs> to it. Um, but uh, as I said, the I think the investing environment and uh, the move into mobile was something that really took this company by surprise. Yeah, exactly. And it, it also does say that you were the head of product. Now, was product management actually a concept that was well known in, in Israel nine years ago? Or did you retrospectively put that title? <laughs> uh, no, I think, I mean, uh, product was really something that, that was that existed. It was a little okay. bit more of a dev and engineering piece than, than what you'd call now UI UX. Mm-hmm. I think that UI UX maybe wasn't as established as an integral part of product. But um, back then, I was in charge of um, the uh, the service side and the back end, the algorithm side of the tagging system, as well as all of our analysis. So it was a lot of product, but a much more of a um, maybe data play yeah. than, than the, the kind of UI UX that I deal with now. Yeah, very interesting. I, I, I asked purely because back, I think, I think during those years, I was in India and I was doing something similar, but the whole concept of product management did not exist, did not translate uh, in, in the pure sense. So it was not until I came here that I understood what product managers do. And that's why I was just curious as to whether the term and the concept really existed. So the, the term really changed. And yeah. with, with the, uh, I think, with the elevation of user experience and user insights, product has become a much more user-centric paradigm, I think. Uh, previously, product managers were very similar, to, I think, to project managers mm. uh, from a dev perspective, where they not only looked at the the dev cycles and managed the developers, but also tried to talk a little bit about UI. I think that's where we were. I see, I see. Interesting. Anyway, so, so after that, you came to London to do your MBA. Now, while making your choice uh, of the MBA institutions, uh, were there any other institutions or universities you had under consideration at all? Uh, absolutely. So I tried. I applied to uh, INSEAD and I applied to IESE um, in uh, in Spain, and I applied to Colombia, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Okay. Okay. So different countries, actually. You you weren't specific about just the UK. So uh, I, I I was very Europe centric. Uh, I mm. think I, I wanted to stay in Europe, and then I did go. To, I did uh, apply to Colombia, and I went as I said to see um, for myself what's going on there. I thought that was a little bit too much of a commitment to go all the way to the U.S. when I do want to stay in Europe. Uh, so to go and do an MBA in the U.S. only to come back to Europe made less sense to me than actually doing my MBA in Europe. Uh, but I did give that a try, and. Ultimately, I got my. Um, I was very fortunate because I got my acceptance letter from uh, LBS in the first round, so mm. I could actually, so I, I could actually renege on the rest. So I, I called up uh, the other universities um, to just tell them that I'm out of the running because I'm going to accept my first offer. Why were you very Europe specific? What was about Europe that you wanted to keep your connection to it? So first of all, as I said, I, I lived as a um, in my childhood. I lived in England and in Israel and Switzerland. Mm-hmm. So I felt that it's very natural for me to go back into the European setting. Um, and second of all, I, I looked at the MBA as as I said as a triple jumping play. Why change geography? And I know I would stay somewhere for several years. Yeah. Um, one of the most important. It's funny how we talk about these as very professional, um, a very professional. 
decisions and they of course are professional but they're always you know life gets in the way of your decisions and one of the most important things that happened to me three weeks before the mba happened was my my son was born and um and what uh, uh, my wife then and i decided that we wanted to um live abroad for a while we decided to go to london where we um first of all where i have a uh, citizenship so I could stay here yeah. indefinitely and um, where she could find work and so on. So it was more of a family decision to move into Europe than it was because of the best MBA school. Although once I got into London Business School, which was my first choice, it kind of set all the other questions to, set, uh, to rest. Yeah, absolutely. How how was your experience of getting into London Business School? Because it is quite it is quite competitive, right? It's very hard. I, I know a lot of people who have tried getting into London Business School. Personally, I never tried. Um, I, I, I applied only to Imperial uh, in London, but I know a lot of my own classmates who tried London Business School and they never got in. It was really competitive, And but you got in the first round. What what are some of your tips? Interesting. I have to ask you. It, it's quite <laughs> uncommon to hear people who try for only one specific school in the UK, and it's not London Business School. I wonder why. Did you, did you find something specific in Imperial that uh, you were interested in? Right. So, so the thing is, I wasn't even looking at UK at all. <laughs> I applied to a lot of schools in the US. I got into two of them. I got into Washington, Oregon, and I got into University of California. Um, and I got into those institutions. But I just applied to Imperial, I think, because I, I met the professor of Imperial who came to India for the tour. And I just really liked the vibes. I really liked what they described. I applied, let me see, you know, what happens. I never applied to LBS because at that point of time, you can tell me if it's right or wrong, but it was believed that LBS is really competitive. It's really cutthroat. Uh, you know, it's it, it, it's it's very finance focused. It's very hard skills focused. There's not much focus on entrepreneurship. <laughs> so, but Imperial has a focus on technology and STEM and entrepreneurship. And that's what inspired me to apply to Imperial. Interesting. So, I, I mean, I think it is a fair assessment to say that a London Business School is a competitive school to get into and that it is a school that um, has really championed the the finance route and produced some of the best results for people who wanting wanting to get into investment banking in the finance sector and PE and VC in general over the last few years. But I think there is a shift. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe in the last two decades, but I think there is a shift in the last few years um, where London Business School understands that the growing contingent of the uh, applicants and the graduates go in and either um, they start their own businesses or go into other corporate roles in smaller companies or bigger companies. And as a result of that, you can see things such as the LBS incubator program and a lot of the internships that people do in startups now. That And they obviously the entrepreneurship summer school that the, the, the school launched maybe five years ago. And all of these, I think, are tr- um, initiatives are trying to bring the school closer to uh, the entrepreneurship contingent as well, yeah. Correct, exactly, exactly. I think I think the focus has really increased a lot recently. I finished my MBA seven years ago. That means I was doing my consideration about eight, eight to nine years ago. Uh, and, and that's when the focus and and you were talking about personal reasons. In fact, I came to London after getting admitted only because my girlfriend and now wife back then, she was like, I like London. 
let's go to london <laughs> exactly <laughs> that, so, that, that was the reason and it's closer to home for me because i'm from india and us is like really far because if i want to make a trip it takes like almost 24 hours sometimes to get there so those were my considerations anyway <laughs> and i think you know i think a lot of people listening to this and that are maybe considering to do mba is really important because uh, these considerations are really important to discuss because i i talk to plenty of applicants or people who are thinking to apply to lps and most of the time I ask them, well, what's your, you know, what's your marital status, right? Mm. And that's, the, uh, in many ways, that precedes all the other questions about, you know, what are you interested in? Do you want to do finance? Do you want to do entrepreneurship? Do you want to do consulting? Uh, ultimately, you know, if, um, uh, if your wife won't be happy wherever you go, you're, going, you're not going to have a great experience about it. But not only if you're uh, married, your husband or wife, mm. uh, not only if you're married, right, if you... Um, have a visa or a passport somewhere that could significantly change your your uh, post-employment perspectives. Correct. Um, and and the, you know, these boring subjects are actually the ones that sometimes make or break a good experience. <laughs> um, so th- I think the the degree propels you to to get into rooms that you couldn't you could never get into before. Um, but ultimately, at the end of it, the decision to hire you or not isn't only based on your own credentials and on your uh, MBA, it's also based on, you know, do you have the right paperwork sometimes? So exactly. I, I think that these are, these are really important things that sometimes are left, you know, within the rankings, they're left unseen in a way. Exactly, exactly. Coming back to LBS, you know, uh, before I forget that particular point. So, so you actually did get in the first round. Now, what, what, what do you think made you stand apart uh, the all the competition? Um, I think so. I think I presented a coherent ideology or strategy or plan to transition myself from the legal profession into the business setting, and I could show some credibility and some and some authentic interest. You mentioned the bubbles. I also founded a charity in Israel um, that was. Uh, back then operating for five years. It's actually still it's still alive today. It's the largest of its kind in the country. Wow. And Is that the with, one called Children Playing Chess? Yes, it's an educational foundation that essentially nice. teaches, teaches children from underprivileged areas across the country through the learning through play paradigm with chess. And I started that literally by going myself to teach 12 kids. Mm. And we have over 800 children a year now and it's 10 years running. So I could show that I had the interest and the uh, authentic motivation to transition my career into these kind of activities. And I think that helped me set myself apart from people who might have maybe similar backgrounds and have maybe even interests, but haven't actually actioned upon them, if that makes sense. I see. No, that's, that's really, that's really interesting. During, during your MBA, I think, I think you did a couple of internships, one at PayPal and one at Index Ventures. Yeah. Um, what, what what were your considerations? Like, what kind of career were you considering, you know, during your MBA? And how did your MBA shape where you are right now? So, I mean, those are two big questions. The, <laughs> the, um, the internships were, for me, a fantastic opportunity to try different things. And I knew I wanted to move back into tech. I did a little bit of tech in the military. I had a little stint in my startup, mm-hmm. my first startup. And... Uh, as an M&A lawyer, I was exposed to tech. And then when moving into the MBA, I wanted to move a little bit closer to that from the business side. So that's the commonality. If you look at um, 
PayPal, and then you look at Index Ventures, the the famous VC firm, mm. and then you look at what I did subsequently as a founder of a tech company. It all these are all different parts of tech. One of them is big tech, the other is investments, and the third is obviously entrepreneurship. So I was kind of saying, okay, I know I've now moved back to London and I feel comfortable with that. I can now transition my career through my MBA or empowered by my MBA into business. And now I know I want to, the sector I want to move into is tech. And the question is what kind of company and what kind of role? So I really used that experience and these were fantastic experiences. I actually was in PayPal in Paris. So I could spend the summer in Paris, which isn't the worst thing in the world. Oh yeah. And, um, <laughs> Also, and then I went into Index Ventures, and, and the profile Index was a short internship. It was part time while I was in uh, in the MBA, my second year. Mm-hmm. But it did expose me to the kind of processes that they go through, and the due diligence and the vetting that they do for companies. So I could really kind of get a sense of what's going on there. And oh, I mean, it's obviously a a part of the picture. It's not the full thing, but it did give me a taste of it. And then when I opened my own company. Um, on the back of the MBA, then I felt that I've, I've tried and tested several elements of this space, and this is what I chose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so to ask you a very practical question, now you, you started Uncover, you know, pretty much soon after your MBA. Actually, I think you started laying the ground during your MBA towards the end of it. Yep. Now, MBA must have been a big financial commitment right and how how did you have the confidence to not have a salary immediately after the mba so um they there are three elements i think to that first of all it's, a, it's a, again a very important question i think we're <laughs> considering mbas and entrepreneurship afterwards because let's not uh, kid ourselves uh, you don't live off a uh, unless you have uh, no commitments whatsoever uh, and even then you don't live very well off a entrepreneur's salary for in the first few years. Um, it is not the anywhere close to the median average income of a, a MBA graduate after the first year after graduation. So the, that, it's a fair question. And the, the answer is I, I did that in three ways. Uh, one is I took a loan uh, to finance my, my living expenses. Mm-hmm. And the second is, luckily, as I said, I was married and my wife is, uh, my ex-wife rather, is, uh, has always been more successful than I was. <laughs> so uh, she got a great job in London and she managed to very much support both of us uh, throughout that period. And the third uh, is a lot of luck. So hmm. luckily we uh, raised our seed financing on, we finished raising it on the week of our graduation from the MBA. Oh. So we gra- we graduated directly into the company and got a salary that was half the median salary of an MBA, but it was a salary, and we could live off that. And then um, Uncover's trajectory was quite unique, and we actually sold it um, a year and a half later. And, uh, and, and then the, the question of the financing of the MBA became um, a question of an ROI investment rather than... Uh, rather than the question of how do you return the debt. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So so coming to Uncover, actually, you, you, you started it with two other um, classmates of yours. Was that right? Yes, absolutely. So um, two classmates and, my, uh, and I met up at the beginning of the first year, of the second year, sorry, of the school. Uh, we knew each other from the first year, but mm. uh, this only became of an interest on, in the second year. And 
during the second year, we did our MVP and we tested it actually with with members of the school. We then used surveys with alumni and others to really understand the market. And then on the back of our MVP, we raised uh, a one million seed round and uh, we launched the business right off, off the MBA right after graduation, as I said. So yeah. we were very fortunate to be able to use the second part of the MBA, which is more relaxed, granted, right? And you, you can take courses that you're interested in and so on, uh, to use that as a stepping stone in, to found our own business. Hey, guys, I really hope you've been enjoying this episode. I just wanted to take a small break and tell you that I would love to hear your thoughts on the show. If you have any feedback, please feel free to email me at avinas at com. And if you're not aware already, we also have a dedicated Facebook and Slack group where we talk a lot more about MBA. These groups are open to anyone who wants to come in and discuss about MBA future careers along with others on the same journey as you. To find out more about how to join these groups, please head over to the website, The MBA Jam. Let's head back to this amazing episode. Was that, I mean, were you guys like, the unicorn of of that particular course like were you the only ones who actually were going to start your own business among your classmates or were there also other people who you know started something of their own or did the rest of them actually go on to get some jobs i i think for my year seven percent started their own companies mm. um so i think that that isn't a terribly small number i think that number has gradually increased over time but uh, out of those seven percent seven percent three was us yeah so exactly <laughs> it, it's quite a lot i think um and there were some other businesses that were formed i think we were the only business currently that was sold to my to my knowledge some continue to operate some don't uh, as the, as businesses like this do um but it was, I, I remember that even a year into Uncover, I met one of my MBA alums and asked them, and they asked me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I was still doing Uncover. And they said, oh, it's amazing that thing's still alive, right? <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that, you know, startups aren't, uh, at least then, weren't a natural gateway out of, um, out of the MBA. I think more and more this is becoming a very legitimate course of action. I think Stanford were the first to do this properly, and everyone's kind of followed suit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I've spoken to I've spoken to a few of them from the US and I think it seems to be a lot more common and I think I think generally it's sort of the attitude towards startups and entrepreneurship is I feel is a lot more evolved in the US as compared to the UK is what I've seen. What's what are your thoughts on that? So I think I think you're right. I mean, we, uh, the US is much more established generally in, in the MBA culture, I think. And although the uh, the UK and Europe is picking up very rapidly and um and I think in every specific vertical there, there are advantages and disadvantages. So you mentioned finance, which I think the UK is doing very well at. Mm. But and entrepreneurship is something that historically, I think, um, the uh, the West Coast, obviously, in the US was, was much stronger. And I think uh, when you look at what's happening in the tech hubs uh, around Europe, with London, with Paris, with Lisbon, with Berlin, um, Amsterdam, I think as regulation and taxation becomes beneficial to open companies in these different these different areas mm-hmm. so will entrepreneurs gradually move there and so will mba graduates 
open more companies. And I think I think you see that in the UK that with SCIS and EIS and all of these very good schemes that allowed people to really build companies and, and for uh, many smaller investors to invest with uh, tax gains. What it brought about is an appetite after the MBA to really try and do this, special visas that were granted and so on. Um, when, once the facilities are there from the government and from the um, uh, from the school, then you can see graduates really responding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree. In fact, in fact, I also had a previous guest on the show who who gave some really good examples of some MBA entrepreneurs. The CEO of Deliveroo uh, has 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 done MBA, and there there are a few others. I I really think there is space for a, a specialist VC firm sponsoring MBAs. Let's see if I can get into that. <laughs> Interesting. Um, interesting. So besides the fact that you actually met your co-founders at London Business School, is there, is there anything else that you took away from the MBA course and the MBA classes that really helped you, um, you know, work on your startup? Yeah, of course. So uh, the, the MBA, I, I mentioned in the beginning, was really transformational for us, mm-hmm. uh, for me personally, but also for the business itself. And I think there were I think there are three specific things that the MBA helped us. At. Now, first of all, the courses themselves. I think the MBA is perfectly suited for an entrepreneur because it, there's like, it gives you a taste of many professions, a kind of a, a jack of all trades. And so you understand a little bit about how to hire, a little bit about operations, a little bit about strategy. And, and, and you can obviously expand in those if you have any specific set of skills that you're interested in. But that's exactly what an entrepreneur needs at the beginning, right? You need to know how to hire people, but despite the fact that you maybe have only interviewed several times in your life. And you need to know how about team building and culture in in a company, even though there are only maybe eight employees. And you need to know, obviously, about operation and delivery of uh, product life cycles if you're going into product like I did, fundraising, financing, and so on. So there's quite a lot to know, and the MBA really helps you out. In a, for, for a specific example, I can tell you that and to, of how LBS specifically helped our company. I can tell you that we found hiring quite a struggle at some point. And then mm. I, I went to one of the professors and asked her for her specific guidance about how do you create a process of hiring that yields the best people. And we discussed a lot of the theory and a lot of the research that's been done about what kind of stages do you need to have there? Do you need to have an assignment? Do you not? How many stages? How many times do you bring these people in? How many interactions with the team? Not only to create the best candidates and to make sure the best candidates go through the system, but also to motivate the candidates themselves to continue with it and to want the job at the end of it, right? Because once you give the offer, then they, they, they go out shopping. So this kind of knowledge mm. We didn't only tap into during our MBA, but also afterwards we came back and studied it. The second one is obviously with the, the, the second way LBS helped us out was with the facilities. So we were part of the LBS incubator program. And as such, we got offices and we got a little bit of budget and we got partnerships that were very important, such as the uh, AWS partnership. That's pivotal. A, a tech company without servers is not a tech company. So that was a that was a golden ticket for us. We also got mentorship, weekly sessions. There was a lot going on um, at LBS, uh, at the LBS incubator, and participating there was very important. And the last piece was really the network of alumni and investors that we tapped into. So the first restaurants that came on uh, on our platform 
that were onboarded came up, came through the alumni network. The first investors came from the alumni network. The uh, some of our best advisors came from the alumni network, and obviously the all the surveys we did, all of the user insights, the MVP we did, literally all came out for that network. So I think those three the um, the actual academic curriculum the, uh, and staff, the and staff, um, as well as the other two, really helped us. The facilities and um, and the alumni network really helped us uh, build the company. Yeah, that's that's just really good to hear. How much? How you mentioned the LBS incubator, and you mentioned the kind of support that you got. How much? Just so that everyone listening to this might also be aware, how much of this is something? you went looking for and how much of this was you know proactively done by you as opposed to how much of the support do you think institution or in this case lbs gave it on their own so the incubator program was a structured program and uh, we got a lot of it once we joined and there was a process obviously to get selected then we got a lot of it um proactively and obviously the alumni network and and, and so on um was more about us choosing the right courses, choosing to reach out to um, uh, investors in the community or just alumni, and uh, for us asking a question in the LBS forum that people were kind enough to answer and so on. Um, LBS did also present us in front of investors. Um, there is a um, club of investors called the E100 that comes out of LBS, and uh, we pitched there as well. So LBS was proactive in some of these other areas as well. But I would say that if the incubator is a very proactive program, the rest of it was more us um, navigating the ship. I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think I think that's completely fair. Um, is there, is there anything you you think you know LBS could have done better at you know helping you uh, along this way? Anything that you can think of? Um, so I, I, I think that if LBS, once you take this this world of entrepreneurship and investment seriously, then you have to at some point get in touch with uh, the institutional investors. And I think LBS and generally MBA schools would do well to form long-standing relationships with the top VC firms, with in, uh, investment houses, with family offices, and even maybe with the innovation houses within banks to allow for the right entrepreneurs to pitch to the right investors, but also to get mentored by them so that we, so that within the process of creating your deck or creating your pitch, um, students can learn from the best. I think one of the best things that MBAs can do, and you can see this with consulting and the longstanding relationships that all of these big, uh, com- uh, these big schools have with the biggest and best consultancy firms, and, and their long-standing relationships with banks. This is really the MBA as an institution um, reaching out to the other um, institutions that are relevant for its alumni. I think they should do the same thing in the investment world for entrepreneurs. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Cool, cool, great. That, that, that's really good to hear. Um, now, obviously, you know, you, you said you were interested in technology always, and that, that's, that's been the drive and the motivation for you. Why... So is that what made your decision a lot easier to become the chief product officer uh, among the three of you? Uh, so the, the, the discussion between the three of us of who's going to do what mm-hmm. was literally the, um, it was the shortest conversation we ever had <laughs> because, and we are a talkative bunch, let me tell you, you put the three of us <laughs> in the room, we like to talk it out. Um, 
but um, David, my co-founder, said, listen, guys, I love the restaurant part of the business, and I'd like to take care of the restaurant piece. I said I'd love the product and technology piece. I'd love to use to do that. And Chris said, I love all things marketing. I'd love to do that in the finance piece. We said, okay, it seems like there's a perfect yin and yang here. So we moved on. And uh, that's literally how it happened. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, uh, why why did you decide to sell the uh, business? Uh, so we got we, we got the right offer at the right time. It made sense for our investors. It made mm-hmm. sense for the company. Ultimately, you have to make a decision with these things. After you raise a significant round, you you have a crack at product market fit, and you bring the company to a certain scale. You have to decide: Am I, you know, going to throw the dice again and try to make it ten x or hundred x that, or am I going to sell here and try to essentially uh, boost the growth of the company by creating synergies with another? And we chose the latter option because what we found is that in this market, in the restaurant market, you have to consolidate and you have to go at it with a lot of funds. And it made a lot of sense back in the day. I see. I see. So are you are you happy with the direction the velocity has taken the business to as compared to your vision back then for Uncover? So it's definitely changed and it's uh, it, uh, there are pros and cons to the change. I think that it's a very sensible thing that they are doing. Essentially, they moved a little bit more premium and now the company isn't anymore. I, I, you can still find an app and you can still use it. But I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not very much involved anymore. So one of the primary um, operations now is to actually create a concierge service uh, through the app, which makes a lot of sense. And it's not what we envisaged back in the day, but I think it makes a lot of sense for the company, and I, and I wish them well. Cool, cool. So you you obviously ended up working at Velocity for some time after um, you know you sold it. Was was that a part of the deal for you to for the three of you to work there in the company for some time? No, they were very kind about that, and they said, "Listen, guys, we don't want to force you to stay through earnouts or anything like that." And ultimately, it's it's your choice if you want to stay or not. And we all volunteered to stay because we believed in the company and we wanted to be there. Um, and ultimately, that was that was the deal. We stayed there for as long as we needed to in order to, to make sure everything works out. And each one moved on to his respective elements. I see. And and from there, I guess you moved on to Touchnote right away, right? I did. Yes, absolutely. Why why Touchnote? Um, I met Oded and he impressed me. Oded is the CEO of Touchnote. Mm-hmm. And I bought into the idea and the proposition and the growth of the company. And I was very impressed uh, about, uh, with how much they managed to do uh, with a small team. And then I met the guys and uh, I met the um, the board as well. And I was sold. And I said, yeah, this makes a lot of sense for me. I see. When are you starting your next company now? <laughs> uh, a, that is a question I get sometimes. And the answer <laughs> is I, want, I really want to see Touchnote all the way through. So I'm very, very excited about the next two to three years of Touchnote and hope to see it uh, go all the way. What's the, what's the vision for Touchnode, if, if you can just give us a brief perspective? So I, I briefly mentioned what Touchnode is about. I'm pretty sure you can do a much better job. So first of all, what is Touchnode about right now? And, and where do you see the vision for Touchnode? So Touchnode is the leading mobile app in the world for postcard sending now. And we see our vision as moving into the general photo uh, personalization space. Um, and essentially what we want to be is a, is a premium brand for people to be able to create their own personalized products from their photos. And 
postcards is what we're world no, we are known around the world for. We've sent over nine million of these postcards around the world, and it's a it's a great business and it's a great business to be in. But uh, what we want to do is, uh, over the course of the next two to three years, expand what we uh, our use case and what we do for our customers and be able to capture and to help them be more thoughtful about uh, the way that they communicate. So if you think about what you do uh, on WhatsApp and how many pictures you send friends and what actually happens with them afterwards. Usually people see a picture, they say great, and then and they move on. If you want to be a little bit more thoughtful about that moment, if, you kept, if I captured the first day of my, school, of my son's school in first grade or a nice trip that we were at and we want to send that to, the, to his grandmother or to somebody else, then you can send it either by postcard, greeting card, a canvas, one of our uh, array of products, and create a real experience out of it. And what we see is that people are using mobile more and more, mm-hmm. not only to communicate digitally, but uh, they are trying to also use that in the physical world. Think about augmented reality and what is that, and, and the kind of wave that's going to do now with Apple introducing it into all of its phones. And we, uh, this is a, a revolution is called. I don't think it has. It has an unfortunate name. It's the digital movement oh, so for, i know a part uh, of that <laughs> exactly. and i think that touchnote is a key player there to essentially move the pendulum back so when we were kids you would send uh if you take a picture it literally had no meaning unless you develop it right so we developed 99 percent of the pictures we took mm. uh, otherwise nobody would see it uh, today the pendulum has swung to the other extreme and we develop maybe a fraction of a percent of the pictures that we take. I take, I think, 3,500 pictures a year of my boy. I, uh, and before TouchNote, how many did I actually print? But then what I find is that you gradually, the pendulum is gradually moving back. People want to have that picture next to their bed and they want to have a nice canvas to put on their walls and they, and they want to do fun things for their friends as well with collages and so on. So while there's definitely room for sharing on Facebook and sharing on, uh, on WhatsApp, and that's a very daily thing to do, sometimes you want to be just a little bit more thoughtful, and we want to be the most thoughtful way to keep in touch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's really, really interesting. So, you know, you, you've been across a few spaces. Of course, you've, you've seen um, your fair share of businesses while, while in the legal and then PayPal and then a little bit of investment and then in the restaurants and the mobile app space and now you're in the you know a little bit of a online offline digital postcard business if you did if you do have to go and start your own business is there any particular space that excites you oh i have many spaces that excite me (laughs) um there are many spaces that excite me now, and I think you know many people like to th- always ask whether we, like people are done with the app innovations or, or like is the app store doomed because we have I don't know tens of millions of apps in the app store? And I think the answer is absolutely not. Right, the, qu- the only question is what's the next wave of innovation that's going to come in? And if I think about two verticals to give examples, uh, which I think as examples which I think are particularly exciting. I would name um, augmented reality uh, as one of them. I think there's a lot to do with augmented reality, both uh, in uh, in games and in utilities. And the second um, big wave that I, I think I would go into is food tech. I think 
uh, people have focused on nutrition, but there's a lot of other things to do in food tech as well, which I think are particularly exciting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you on your augmented reality. I've been I've become a big student of that myself right now. Uh, and the other space which which I think uh, I'm starting to get interested is blockchain. <laughs> So blockchain is a really interesting one because it's been around for a while and kind of the adoption curve of blockchain has kind of gone through the, the natural cycle, the hype cycle. Yeah. Um, and I think I think there's a lot to do with blockchain as well. Um, it'd be interesting to see what country this comes out of, right? Because it's uh, cryptography generally um, is is bound to governments that want to uh, allow or not allow regulation, right? So it'd be interesting to see where where um, this kind of technology finds a market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can only see a lot of governments having interaction and discussions around blockchain more than I've ever seen before. So that's, that's really interesting. Cool. Um, yeah, and, and the, the next point I had was, you know, all the other things you're doing right now. So you're mentoring at Techstars, you're a member of Founders of the Future, uh, you're, you're a member of a few advisory boards at Feeder Limited and Mori. Can you talk a little bit about these three or four different things you're doing right now? So what I found at Uncover that really helped us along the way was um, people coming in, giving really, really good advice. And we had a little bit of sense to listen to these people and not only listen to our own intuition. And most of the things that you just mentioned is my attempt to pay this forward and to advise be it through the accelerator programs or by sitting on these advisory boards and talking to these founders on a daily basis and almost being their you know, backstage consultant and uh, give a little bit of advice and, and my two cents about how these things should act. And it, it could be from my legal days and it could be from uh, my entrepreneurship experience and it could be from other uh, exercises that I do now. But if a founder needs to tackle things for the first time, I think you would do well to discuss it with somebody who has, who has been through a few of these rodeos. And this pertains to almost every part of the entrepreneurship journey. So essentially what I try to do is sit there and help them with product strategy or with entrepreneurship or with team building or with financing or any other piece of the puzzle that makes sense for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is 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 that why you agreed to come on the show with the same uh, reasoning to try and give back and try and contribute to the community? Absolutely. So um, the, uh, the the I think the, the pay the paying it forward starts with the MBA program, where, which mm. really was for me the stepping stone into my, my my current career. So I still come in every year into LBS to give a talk to one of the clubs. Um, about my experience and, and my findings through the MBA experience now to make that uh, successful journey. And I'm actually going, I think, in two weeks to talk to the, to the new cohort that just started. And um, I think paying it forward is a, is a big thing, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, thanks a lot for doing that because I, I was running a few workshops on product management at, at Imperial College. And I, that's where I met Mark Abraham, and that's how you know he. he, he oh yeah, <laughs> uh, because he he I was invited him as one of the speakers. He's pretty big in the product management space, and you know not just him. I invited like four or five other speakers, and to be honest, each one of them was equally excited to come and you know speak and give back and contribute. I think the only problem is nobody asks them. <laughs> so I think everyone that uh, went through this kind of experience, the first thing they feel is very grateful for the great advice 
they got throughout it, uh, if it's professors, if it's alumni, if it's other people. And then if they can contribute a little bit to that, they feel like, you know, the dwarfs are sitting on the uh, on the shoulders of the giants, right? You, you, you're trying to just um, contribute a little bit of your own your own experience as well. So I completely agree with you. And I'm sure that if you'd call um, a thousand MBAs, they obviously have different opinions, but they'll all be very eager to discuss and to try to give their insights. Everyone's trying to figure it out, as someone once told me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Very good point. Uh, Dan, is there, is there something you wish I had asked you? Um, is there something you uh, I wish you had asked me? Um, I think we covered a lot of it. I think uh, the last thing I, am, I, I think I would want to talk about is at what stage should an MBA think about opening his own company? That's mm. a question I, I get quite often. Should they open it? Should somebody found a company straight out of the MBA? Should they first join a startup and so on? And that's a question I get a lot. And uh, I, in some way, I'm, I'm happy that you didn't ask it to me because I don't have a great answer for it. <laughs> um, my answer is always it depends on the person and depends on the business, right? And if... Uh, Somebody has an absolutely amazing idea and, it's a, and they really do feel it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, then they should go out and do it. Most times, that's not the case. Most times, people just feel like they want to be entrepreneurs. They, they feel they want to open their own businesses. And then they're, wait, they're looking for the right problem to solve. And if that's the case, I always say, then join another startup and first understand how you actually do it properly. There's nothing better than joining a 10-man team that's growing into a 100-man team um, to learn how startups actually work. And then from that experience, you can then find your own idea and then execute it on the back of all of the knowledge and insights you get from a company. I think that's the only piece to the puzzle I would add to this. Um, But apart from that, I very much enjoyed this, Avinash, so thank you. <laughs> no worries at all. Are there, are there any other parting tips or thoughts to people who are you know, either doing the MBA, considering doing the MBA, are on the fence? <laughs> well, I can, I can say to your crowd, that um, the crowd of listeners, that is, that if uh, anyone has any questions, you can send me a postcard and I'll, I'll answer. And- <laughs> love it awesome uh then this has been amazing thanks a lot we are actually right on time so so i i hope you really have a good evening and and yeah i mean before before i forget how do people get in touch with you oh so um people can get in touch with me either through linkedin i get i, I answer most of the people who try to get me on linkedin facebook uh, twitter danziv i'm i'm all on all of them so if someone's looking for me it's easy to find <laughs> great and of course you know if you have any questions for Dan you can feel free to email me at avinas at thembajam.com and I'm more than happy to connect you to Dan and if if it works out good for you guys <laughs> absolutely and thanks a lot for your time uh, thank you have Pleasure. you have you got a busy evening I have a few more calls um, to do today but I, I I feel like the end is near <laughs> it is it is <laughs> thanks a lot Dan take care thanks so much bye 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 Thank you for listening to The MBA Jam. Now it's time for you to take action. Head over to thembajam.com to listen to more episodes and discover great resources.